0: It's difficult to explain, you know, why would anybody have a a gripe with a dam? Well, the way the fish is biologically engineered. A baby fish has to be swept out by the current tail first. It does not swim out. When you put uh, dams on a river like the Columbia, it's a chain of long lakes. There is no current. There's a phrase they call, the biologists call it residualized. Well, this is a fish that they have a phrase anadromous. It means it has a saltwater life phase. If it lives in fresh water its whole life, it never got to the ocean. And if it lives on a river that is a, now just a chain of big lakes, it can never find its way to the ocean. They've come up with some charitably goofball ideas about how to round them up, barge them down the river. Yeah, it sort of works. Uh, When I worked in natural resources I used to tell people that hatcheries are as much a substitute for a wild fish run as an electric light is for the sun. They work wonderful till you turn off the power. Literally, hatcheries do nothing at all for the wild fish. The worst damage they do is they create the illusion that there is a healthy fish population. The fisherman on the bank, he's happy. He's catching fish. But the reality is if they don't catch that fish, that hatchery fish, because of the way they're processed in the hatchery, they are from that point ever genetically inferior. They damage wild stock when they escape. They don't make wild stock stronger. And so a hatchery is it, it, it's a very destructive process. It's, it's more than a sad imitation for nature. It's actually a destructive process. And so with the fish, you know, we have to work, uh, find ways to avoid hatcheries to avoid, to find ways to, to restore fish habitat. And I will tell you that I believe uh, that the habitat below the hydro projects, I have long called that the seed orchard for the Columbia River. Because this lower ha- habitat is going to be the best chance to, or- to restore wild fish. Because when you have dams and those big long lakes to go through, well, fish can't make it. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, that's what you have to, to look at is uh, people think that they're, they're doing well, and they, they, they honestly intended that they, they were doing well. But just remember, uh, you know, remember my analogy of a hatchery and a light, because they really are that close to together. Thank you.
1: You know, I look at the wonderful work that I know that the Callets and the Grand Ron are doing in fish restoration and I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, you know, down the Willapa Bay where, uh, you know, um, a lot of my answers come from. It's a pristine estuary down there. Uh, when I was driving down there not long ago, I was telling my wife this is like driving miles and miles and miles of a refuge. But we still have problems down in that area in restoration for fish and so forth. I mean, things need to be done. I often tell the people in the community when I'm out talking that it's very important to have a federally recognized tribe in your backyard so that they can help you do these things that the government wants, doesn't want to do by themselves. So I always encourage them to to push for Chinook restoration, you know, in our in our federal acknowledgment. But I, I I just think that tribes tribes are getting it right. The federal government has messed it up, and it's going to take a long time. And I just appreciate what you know our neighboring tribes are doing. And, and some, often working with Chinook on, on getting things done and getting it right. For us, we always feel what happens at the mouth of the Columbia River affects that upriver and vice versa. So we all need to work as a team when it comes to uh, uh, getting things done and helping this habitat for our, our, our natural resources, our fish. and. Uh, I appreciate the work that is is being done. You know, my father would tell me of the days when he would be down on the Nima River and the fish were so thick on that river that you could actually walk across them. They're just so thick when when the runs were coming in. And today you just don't see that. You don't see those 150, 200-pound June hogs coming in anymore. You know, things that were were here for a long time, you know, and uh, I think the demise of a lot of that, not only did it start with the dams, but there was those canneries from the folks that came and invaded our territory and started putting in these giant fish wheels and taking all that fish off the river. You know, that that was part of it as well. And then just the practices of farming and whatnot. So there's a lot of education to be done. And I think there's a lot that the the tribes can do to hold the federal government's feet to the fire when it comes to uh, uh, making sure things are treated properly.
2: I guess um, I'm the only one here not working for a tribe right now, I think, right? Yeah. So I actually can speak outside of that. So I may, uh, I'll talk about something a little bit more sensitive. Um, you know, right now the tribes are uh, in lower, on lower Columbia right now, not the whole, just I guess middle Columbia right now and the Portland Basin are really sort of fighting over who has the pre- predominant right in the area. And so, and that's not serving anybody's anybody good, you know. Constantly, constantly fighting over who ha- who is the dominant tribe there is, is just not helping the fish. It's not helping the health of the river. It's, I mean, the pr- our purpose there as tribes is is to sort of help restore those landscapes back to what they were, so we can have healthy runs of salmon and smelt and you know eel and everything else that goes down in the rivers. And if we're constantly fighting each other, suing each other in court, that is really doing what the colonizer does, right? That is really taking a, a capitalistic stance. And that is going to uh, continue to destroy the salmon. And so we need to stop doing that. And I know the tribes, people that are in the tribes, they, they feel that same thing. They feel that, you know, we're not sort of helping the fish if we're, we're constantly fighting each other over who is the predominant tribe in an area. And they need to tell, start telling their, their, their tribal councils to stop. I mean, it, it just needs to stop because, you know, it's not helping anybody out at all. Um, you know, that the fish are still suffering, the, the rivers are still too warm, there's too many particulates in the river, there, uh, there's lots of pollution, there's still lots of runoff from agriculture. There's all these issues, the dams are huge issues. And dams cause the destruction, the, the, the extinction of numerous species of salmon. And maybe in the future, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now, we may breach a few dams and bring some of that back. But right now, we have what we have to deal with. And we have runs into the Blant River. We have runs up the Cowlitz. We have runs in various places. And we need to sort of deal with what we have and sort of do what we can to sort of restore those landscapes so that we can can have sort of living fish populations, you know, aquatic populations in those areas. And every day that we're suing another tribe over who's the dominant tribe in that area, that's another day that the fish are dying, the river's dying, and and that's for me. You know, I don't you know I don't work for a tribe, so I'm not worried about being getting any kind of retribution really necessarily. But um, I think that's important to say, and I think that that people need to be behind that. You know, get behind all that stuff. Um, it's absolutely important that Grand Ron begin to sort of restore its. Relationship with with the Willamette and the Columbia River, because we do have treaties that encapsulate part of the Columbia River and all of the Willamette River, and and that's a non-negotiable fact. <laughs> it is true, and and that's just the way it is. And uh, um, uh, you know, that's just, that's all I have to say about that. David, I appreciate you um, acknowledging tensions among tribes. I want to ask a question about um, something that the tribes all seem to have in common, and that is um, the importance of salmon. And I think it's one of the the issues in the subtext underlying a lot of this discussion that I just want to acknowledge, why is salmon so important? We think about it as a species or in environmental science terms, but to native people it's much more than that, and you heard that in Louis's quote. Why is the salmon, What help non-native people understand the spiritual elements of what we're talking about here?
0: Well, I think uh, to touch on what David was saying earlier, I had a guy that worked for me, Nathan Reynolds. He had a phrase that, that he learned working for us. He called it values of the colonizers. Under the values of the colonizers, were forced to defend these tiny little postage stamps when we were once citizens of the world. My own family has an IL family fishing ground at Celilo. That wasn't our home. We were not hosts, but we had a, a regular family fishing site at Celilo. We were in. in in that day, we were not in continuous conflict over the resources. You know, that's that's a modern creation. I, I have a lady that I see at meetings all the time and she's at Tulalip. She blames the reservations and the BIA for it because they brought this model of tiny, tiny little places and it's so radically not what we were. Uh, there's a, because uh, I, I study lots and I buy lots of books and I read lots of books. There's a, uh, a book called "Qualtion Warrior of the Mist. Okay, In that there's a family tree picture of the house of Weowict. Weowict was a grandfather to a bunch of prominent leaders. Leschi on the Puget Sound. Captain Peter, a Cowlitz man. Uh, Kamiakin, last war chief of the Yakimas. Qualshin, a man who was called a Palouse. That family tree just runs from the Puget Sound to Spokane. That's family. In, at Cowlitz, we know that Skanewa, My great-great-grandfather had a wife from Chinook. He had a wife from Umatilla. He had two wives from Vancouver Island. And just the other day, I heard about a couple of wives from California. (laughs) (laughs) The modern concept doesn't begin to understand what our reality was. And because the modern concept is so radically out of step, it leaves us button heads over crumbs. And, and that's the foolishness of it all, you know. Uh, you know, we, we want to work for restoration. I, when I worked at the Natural Resources Department at Cowlitz, we had a group of white sport fishermen, friends of the Cowlitz. They were our, our tightest allies because they knew that we had to save fish first, then we'll fight over what's left if we don't save the fish first, I spoke to one of your senators down here and I told her you're young enough. You will live to see the last resident orca die. That's the reality. You're 30 something, you will probably see the last resident orca die in the Puget Sound. They eat salmon. When there's no fish, they're gone. Thank you.
1: You know, I, I, salmon's hugely important you know, to all nature, you know, orcas and everything. I, th- I think, uh, you know, really you know, salmon is like the poster child on the health of the river and the ecosystems. But we, we worry, you know, we worry about other things. You know, it made my heart really happy, to, uh, you know, last week to hear that, you know, about a thousand people were able to go down on the Kalitz River and dip smelt. Because as a young kid, I can remember going down and you could go down there. you'd put your net in once and you pull out a bucket full of smelt. Smelt were everywhere. People were everywhere. I remember I probably ate too many smelt. I got tired of eating smelt. But smelt were wonderful. The, Kat, the village, the Cathapoto village down there, when they went through and they, they examined all the bones down there, the fish bones, and, and uh, to see you know, what the Chinook people were eating. you know, And of course, uh, everybody just automatically thinks they're eating a lot of salmon. No, they were eating a lot of smelt, a lot of eucalypt down there because of the oils were valuable in their bodies and so forth. So there's other there's other fish out there that are you know that uh, are a huge indicator on the health too. You know we can't forget the smelt. We can't forget the sturgeon. You know it's wonderful to see some chum runs coming up. Chum salmon runs coming up. You know. Um, I know my dad would tell me stories where you know people always valued the, the chinook salmon and, and uh, the silvers and everything else, but he always wanted to get the dogs. He wanted to get the chums because they had more oil in them, and when you smoked them, they were more valuable to your system. So uh, you know, I think uh, it is important you know to see those salmon runs come up, but we can't forget uh, you know all the other the other fish that are out there in that river as well, and we you know. Um, when the seagulls were in the river, the smelt were in the river, and we all got excited, so it was good.
0: Yeah. eagles mean salmon, seagulls mean, mean smelt hmm.
2: Hmm. I guess i uh, your question is interesting because I, 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 when I, everybody was talking, I was thinking of um you know what, what why is the salmon so so important because we know that small fishes were important, you know like sturgeon was important, other fishes are important, you know trout and stuff like that. Um, I think it's 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 because of a lot of things. It's because you know it's like the cedar tree p- serves a lot of purposes. You know, it, it, you can make clothing out of it, you can make canoes out of it, you can make houses out of it, you can make you know baskets out of it, you make do all kinds. You can every piece of the tree is useful. You you can do something with it. And it serves a lot it's, it and because of that it has a huge presence in, in tribal communities in this area. Like huge presence. It's the most valuable tree. <laughs> That I, that I, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, at least. <laughs> I can't speak for everybody. But, um, but also, but salmon does the same thing. I mean, salmon does, it comes three or four times a year. I mean, and so it's, then you're getting different kinds of salmon coming, like chum salmon, different kinds of salmon coming in with different purposes. There used to be like a giant salmon that came up to Columbia that, where there were over 100 pounds, you know. I mean, there was these, all different kinds of salmon. And, the salmon would be processed many different ways, so it was a hugely valuable to the trade. So, I mean, you could smoke it, you could, you know, wind dry it, you grind it up. It was, it was it would, you know, you could put it in your food and make soups and stews out of it, a lot of other stuff too. You could, uh, uh, the oil was immensely valuable because it had nutrients in, in the oil that you needed to survive. I mean, fish oils generally have a lot of nutrients in them. That's why a lot of people use fish oil, right? Um, somebody asked me the other day, so why, you know, how do people survive in the Arctic, where, where there was no sort of fruit, you know, how do they get vitamin C? I'm like, well, it's in it's in the oils, and it's in the so salmon, it's in the mammal oils and fish oils that they're 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 getting. That is, you know, where they're getting all those nutrients, those vitamins and minerals. That's why you know you hear about all these really gross recipes that we think of gross now, of. <laughs> you know, them eating, you know, or dipping out oil with some sort of food, you know, in in a big pot of sort of oily stuff. Um, And that was nutrition, that was good stuff, nutrition back then. Uh, That's the way people ate, and some people still eat that way today, you know, in some communities up there. But nowadays, we're in this sort of low-fat, you know, kick. We're all, like, getting rid of fat because it's bad for you. But really, that oil, that fat has lots of nutrients in it, for certain for certain types of animals, and we need it. It's ab- absolutely important for human survival. Uh, now we we try and supplement that with with vitamins and stuff, but but I think that's 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 why. It's because salmon was uh, it's an immensely valuable fish for for trading. It the way that it jumped over sort of falls and barriers in the river made it easy to catch. It was. In a certain package that you could easily sort of cook that up really, really well. Um, You know, it served a lot of purposes, and there was so much of it that it just became this omnipresent thing that everybody would eat and desire. So, and if you didn't have salmon in your area, or have as much salmon in your area, like the Kalapuyans didn't have really sort of like, a uh, falls they could go to. I mean, The, the falls were basically owned by the Clackos people, so they would have to go to the falls and bring whatever they had to sort of trade for that dried or smoked salmon. They were not going there to get sort of fresh salmon because it wouldn't last very long. They would absolutely be trading for dried and smoked salmon with Camas or Wapato or something else. And so it's this immensely valuable fish. And, you, know, you were talking about Lewis and Clark earlier and, I was, I was very interested in that because I remember reading some of their Lewis and Clark journals and them. I think they got sick of salmon because they started buying
0: dogs and, you know. It, they had a bias. <laughs> East Coast people had a bias against eating pink flesh salmon. That's right. They, they thought it was disgusting. They were repulsed by the idea of eating pink flesh salmon. Before I leave you, I got to tell you one thing. Billy yeah. Frank used to say you can't be a salmon people without fish. You know literally they were more than food. They were admirable in their lifestyle. They were, there was, they were agile. They, they had tremendous perseverance. There was a lot about a salmon. It was more than food. It had a lot of things to admire. A lot of its characteristics were were really quite noble. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think you know it brings to mind for me a couple, just a couple of little stories that I've heard over the years. You know, uh, I had a friend of mine that canned up some salmon and he he put it in a jar and it was all nice rolled up. He had skinned it and everything when he smoked it and he took it up to the elders and he gave him this fish and they looked at that jar and they said, "No skin," you know. <laughs> They're like. It, Or or we would take fish, we would take fish up to our elders down in the Willapa down there and and you bring it up to them and they'd say, What? No heads? So we literally would save the heads and bring them buckets of heads so that they could make broth, you know, and and get Mm -hmm. get the value out of those heads and today that's what we're doing again. Our Natural Resources Committee is actually starting to can and put up, you know, fish broth you know, out of the heads so that we can use that and get it back into our people's system. So.
2: And that's just for humans. The other piece is that the bears, uh, when the salmon are dying, they're spawning and they're dying. I mean, how many different, you know, different species does that feed? Mm-hmm. So th- it wasn't just for us, it was for all, the whole environment. There's a huge ecosystem that depended on the salmon coming back and spawning and dying there and then taking advantage of that. Yeah. It's, it's huge. So thank you guys very much for this. We really appreciate it. David Lewis, Sam Robinson, and Mike Gael, can we get a round of applause?